Good morning, Sterling. I hope that you're all doing really well. I can affirm that uh, the joy is mine as well. I absolutely love bringing the word to you. And so it is my privilege and pleasure to be preaching today. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through the letter of the Philippians. So we've seen maybe through the last three weeks or so that the general theme through all of these things is as we struggle in our Christian life, as we don't know quite how to move forward, we look to Jesus and we see how he answers all of these questions that we have. And so in this persecution, we glean from Jesus. We draw closer to God, but we also draw closer to the body of Christ, who's able to help us, who's able to sustain us. His Holy Spirit will be poured out into your heart and he will take you through those tough times. When we go and we look at how, is, how we're going to fight against unity uh, within the church, where we maybe struggle to love our Christian brothers and sisters, again, we look to Jesus. And as we see that he has poured out love into our hearts and he's comforted us, he's participated within us, we go and we do those same things for our Christian brothers and sisters. And as Mark preached last week, he spoke about the humility of Christ, the fact that he humbles himself, he takes on human flesh, and he comes in the form of a servant. And we are supposed to look at that and go, let us then have this mind of Christ within ourselves as well. Let us also humble ourselves and be servant-hearted towards those around us. And this passage that we are going through today is going to explain the exaltation of Christ. And though I'm going to be preaching primarily on that, you have to know this morning that God does not exalt without humiliation. He does not. He did not do that in the life of his own son, Jesus, and we find that he is super humbled, if you will. And in the Koine Greek, he is then super exalted. He is given the name above all names. And this is good news for us as Christians because sometimes we feel humbled to the point where we feel like we are tasting dust. And God says, don't worry. This is the pattern that Christ sets and he will exalt us one day as well. And so this is a real letter written to a real church that is experiencing real issues. And Paul wants to point them to the very real Christ that they serve, who does intervene in our lives. So we're going to be going to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My first point for this morning is name above all names. See, it's very apparent from our text today that Jesus is given this name above all names. But names in our context and names in that context are very different things. You know, for us, we might just use a name to get hold of somebody, to get their attention. So we go, hey, Pete, Fricky, whatever your name is, they give us our, their attention, and then we can ask them something. If we look just a few hundred years back, we find that a name carried more significance than it does today. So we have people where their surname would actually encapsulate what their family did for the village. So we had people with surnames like Fisher, Baker, Taylor, Smith, Blacksmith. We have a Mark Wood. His great descendant, his great, uh, <laughs> he may have been, yeah, he may have had a woodsman in his family or a carpenter. And so it would speak to the practicality, ironically. Um, <laughs> we love you, Mark. But if you go and you look into the Hebrew 
uh, culture, you will see that a name meant far more than just what your family did and far more than something that you just used to get hold of somebody's attention. If you look to the Old Testament, you find a guy by the name of Jacob. Now, Jacob means deceiver. And the Jacob in the Old Testament is excellent. He lives up to his name perfectly. We see that he steals his own brother's blessing, his own brother's birthright. While his, his brother goes off to go hunting, Jacob takes it upon himself to steal his brother's blessing by deceiving his very blind father into thinking that he is his brother. He is a deceiver. He lives up to his name. We see that later on he steals livestock from his own father-in-law. Deceiver. But God still uses Jacob. But he changes his name. After a night of wrestling with God, he says, No longer do I call you Jacob, but I call you Israel. Meaning triumphant with God. And so name has a huge amount to do with a person's character and their identity. And so what we see happening in this passage is that God the Father, who knows all things about all people from every time zone, goes and looks at his own son Jesus and says, you have got the greatest character, the greatest identity. You are flawless in every possible way. That is how he has this name above all names. It means that past, present, future, there is nobody greater than Jesus. No human, no angel, no demon. His name surpasses them all. And this isn't the same sort of thing as the story that I told about two weeks ago about King Louis XIV. Remember how he'd called himself King Louis the Great? He'd called himself the Sun God even? Jesus isn't elevating himself here. It is God the Father who looks at his son Christ and says, you are being given the name above all other names, elevated by the Father. And this is important because there is salvation found in no other name. We live in a world that would love to believe that there are multiple different ways, and as long as you follow one of them, you are going to come to some sort of a truth of your Creator. Jesus blows that out the water in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We choose to believe what Jesus says about himself here. That it is not going to be through Muhammad or Confucius, Buddha or Selassie or any of those other ones out there, but rather Jesus, who is completely truthful in every way, says he's the only way. We choose to listen also to what his own father says about him. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, he says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He has a powerful name, name above all names. In the name of Jesus the blind received their sight. In the name of Jesus, lepers were cleansed. This morning, in the name of Jesus, Piwe had her stomach ache taken away. The Lord's name is powerful, even to death. He is able to raise those physically dead, and we see even spiritually dead. People who have been separated from God since the beginning, since their birth, are able to come back into relationship with God through the name of Jesus. And when we look at Jesus' life, his practical ministry on earth, we can see physically that his name is above all names. We see that just by him saying, peace be still, a whole storm is just stilled instantly. We see that Jesus walks over the top of water, but not only is his authority going into the physical realm, but even into the spiritual realm. We see there that all of the demons, everybody who has chosen to rebel against God, those fallen angels and Lucifer himself at the name of Jesus, they will take a knee. 
they will bow and they will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And there are a few different reasons why Paul goes into such detail telling us about these things. The, the humiliation and emptying of Christ as he empties himself and takes on the form of a servant. And that is because when we struggle and we suffer, we tend to come up with a few questions. We sometimes question God's goodness. And so when we are busy being humbled, we start going, God, where are you in the situation? God, what are you doing now? And Paul's response is that God the Father is in the exact same place on his throne that he was when his own son was being humbled. When Jesus was mocked and scorned. When Jesus was almost pushed off a cliff in one of the stories. When Jesus was standing trying to have a conversation, they pick up rocks to try and stone him. God the Father is still good. God the Father is still on his throne. And God the Father will exalt everything. He does not overlook your pain. He does not overlook the suffering that you go through. He will reward you one day perfectly. And so it is a great encouragement for us to look to the one who sets the pattern for us, Jesus. And we say, God did not spare his only son from going through hardship. He will not spare us from going through hardship. But when we look to the one who we follow, Jesus, we see that he perfectly humbles himself far more than you and I will ever humble ourselves. But God the Father honors him and exalts him, raises him up and gives him the name above all names. And so you, Christian, do not be brokenhearted this morning if you feel like you're being humbled. If you are living your life for Christ, and as a result, you are being persecuted. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Jesus sees every single thing that you are going through. And he says, don't worry, the exaltation is coming. And I need to be clear on this point this morning. I don't want any of us to walk away with the idea that we are going to be like Jesus and that we're going to get the name above all names. No, no, no. But he still sets the pattern. So as the, the humiliation comes rolling by, as we feel ourselves sometimes emptied out and taking on the form of a servant to those around us, know that God the Father sees. And we are all living and working for hearing those words when we cross the finish line. Well done, good and faithful servant, son, daughter. Enter into the joy of your master. Paul is showing us how to do that this morning. It is by us following in the tracks of Jesus. My second point for this morning, point number two, is Jesus rocks. And that may sound a bit strange at first, but if you look at the story of Jesus Christ, the way that he is humbled and seemingly small and insignificant, but then raised up to be mighty and name above all names, you can actually see that it is told in the story and prophecies of rocks throughout the Old Testament. And so if the rocks were to cry out to us this morning, what would they be telling us? We're going to go through a few prophecies, and I'm going to show you what it says. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. What this prophecy tells us is that Jesus starts off seemingly small, like a little pebble on the ground. And the Pharisees see this pebble and they don't like it. They think that they can just kick it away. But what they don't see is that this little pebble is attached to a much larger rock beneath the surface. And so should they try to kick it away or try and walk over it, they will stumble and fall and be broken. 
In the same way that the people who made the Titanic said, God can't even sink this ship. And they look ahead and they go, there seems to be a little ice block in the water. We can take it, not knowing that that ice block will take you, my friend. The same thing happens in the life of Christ. He starts off small, but things are growing and heading in a certain direction. The next prophecy that we see is in Psalm 118, verse 22. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Notice there's a growth here from a little pebble to now a cornerstone capable of building a building on top of. And he goes and he says that the people in in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who should have been building God's church and leading them closer to God, were actually leading them further and further away. And they say, we don't want to use you, Jesus, to build this church. And God, the master builder, pushes them aside and says, no, no, my son is the cornerstone. And every other spiritual rock, like we see in 1 Peter 2.5, like you and me today, are going to find their place built around the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite rocks that we see next is after Jesus is raised victoriously from the dead, he moves aside the tombstone, the rock that held him in his grave, could hold him no longer, and he walks out victoriously. And finally, we get to the last rock that we're really going to look into, and that is Daniel chapter 2. Because there is a prophecy given here about Jesus Christ being over every other world system, every other empire that tries to set itself up against God. What happens is King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in his dream, there is this large statue like a man representing the world's empires. And the statue has a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and the feet partly of iron and clay mixed together. And this is the interpretation that Daniel gives. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 to 35. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You see, every single thing that is out there, every empire that tries to set itself up against God will be completely leveled below the name above all names. Jesus Christ comes and he says, all authority is given to me and all these other things will come crashing down. So if we look and we say, where is the empire of the Babylonians? Where are the Macedonian armies? And the biggest thing that the Romans are fighting about is whether pineapple belongs on pizza or not. Their empires are completely shattered before the kingdom that God is setting up. But if we go and we look at this rock, the rock of Christ, where are the churches today? Where is the empire that God is setting up? They are going into every nation to every tribe and into every tongue, and they are going to continue to grow and be completely victorious until it is like a massive stone filling the whole world like a mountain, all glorifying Jesus, all finding their place at his feet. There are so many other rocks that we could bring up. We could speak about being living stones in God's temple. We could see how God rocked Goliath's world, but we will be moving on. (laughs) My third and final point for this morning is how big is your view of Christ? 
you see, we would look at maybe Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and the Pharisees and go, how did you not get that Jesus is this important? How could you see this person raising people from the dead, performing miracles, doing all sorts of things, and not come to the conclusion that this is the Christ, that he is the name above all names. This is God in the flesh, busy performing miracles here. And one of the reasons why they had a massive issue is they had a tiny view of Christ. They thought he was just some sort of a carpenter who decided to now start teaching uh, some truths about God. Small view of Christ. But my question to you is, don't you think that we so often fall into the same trap? We are told that Jesus is the name above all names. We are told that he's been exalted to the highest place, but do we actually live as though this is a reality? Do we take great steps of faith knowing that God is going to be with us? Or do we sometimes just forget about these things? We make ourselves the center of our life. We sometimes enjoy it when other people actually maybe bow at our feet. We lord it over them. Paul wants us to look to Christ and have a big view of Christ. What that means is when you are getting humbled and you feel like your strength is being depleted, you look to Jesus as your strength. You don't keep looking at your empty storehouses of strength, hoping that it becomes more. In the same way that if you ran out of money, you don't keep checking on your banking app to see if it magically goes up. What you need if your strength is low is you need a strength outside of yourself. You need somebody who's higher and greater than you, who's able to pick you up and lift you off the ground. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to do great things for the Lord, if you want to take these steps of faith and actually put it into action in your life, you need to know how big this Christ is and that everybody and everything will find their place at his feet, the name above all names. And somebody who properly understood this was a guy by the name of Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was a very uh, brave individual, is how I will choose to describe him. He was a court preacher, so he would actually preach before the king. And it was customary at his time to present the king on his birthday with a present, and then you would attached to that present a lovely sermon, which would be the most ear-tickling sermon of this person's life, telling them what a blessing they are from God, how they're going to live forever, and God has put them in their place and will keep them there. Hugh Latimer, however, realizes that this king is falling into some serious sins, and he is not afraid of the king more than he is afraid of this name above all names. And so he goes and he pulls out a handkerchief, and on the handkerchief he writes, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. This is his present to the king. And he gives it to the king and proceeds to launch himself into this sermon, preaching against the sins of lust and whoremongering and adultery, not neglecting to use the king's personal life in the application of what you shouldn't do as a Christian. Of course, afterwards, the king, very flustered, stands up and he says, next week you will apologize to me and you will so mold your sermon that you will be eating your words when I see you next week, Sunday. Hugh Latimer thanks the king. He says, thank you for letting me off on so light a note. And he disappears. The next week, as I'm sure you can imagine, it is packed to the rafters. Everybody is waiting to see who will take round two in this little battle. And what happens is Hugh Latimer takes the pulpit and he announces himself, just to remind everybody what had happened the last week. This is what he says. He says to, of himself, Latimer... Thou art this day to preach before the high and mighty King Henry, King of Great Britain and France. If thou sayest one single word that displeases his majesty, 
he will take thy head off. Therefore, mind what thou art at. But then he continues. He says, Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the Lord God Almighty, who is able to cast both body and soul into hell, and so tell the king the truth outright. And so he does. And he continues with the discourse where he left off the week before and carries on preaching exactly in the same manner that he was. The end result is that the king did not, in fact, lift Hugh Latimer's head from his shoulders. He actually had even more respect for Latimer, allowed him to live and continue preaching in the court. The point, though, is that if you are going to be like Hugh Latimer, if you are going to have this faith that defies people around you, that lives for Jesus and Jesus alone, then you need to have the right sort of view of who Christ is. If you have this view that every single person, even the kings and the presidents of countries, will find their place at the foot of Jesus, that they will take a knee and they will bow to him, and they will confess one day that he is Lord. If you understand that, you will live before the Lord. And you will not worry about what the people think of you. You will not let their threats and fear uh, drive up anxiety in your life. Rather, you'll be anxious to live for this Lord Jesus Christ, just like Hugh Latimer did. As I wrap up, I need to be clear this morning that this text that, that Paul preaches is not trying to tell us about some sort of universalism. He's not trying to say that everybody makes it to heaven one day. That's not the truth. As he goes and he says everybody will bow their knee and confess, he's not saying that we'll all see one day and all be on the same page and then all go off to heaven. He says, here is your choice. You either see Christ the way he is now or you will one day. But there are very different implications on whether you believe now or later. If you don't believe now, if you reject the Son of God, the one way that God has made available for you to be saved, then you are volunteering yourself to take the wrath of God on yourself for all of eternity. And Paul would say, no, my friends, look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at how he humbles himself. Look at how he's taken on the form of a servant. Look at how he has taken your sins in his body and he has nailed them to the cross. Do you see his love for you today? And if you do, would you humble yourself? Would you take a knee today before it is too late? And would you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? There are so many benefits, but the greatest benefit that Matt mentioned this morning is that you get Jesus. You get this treasure that is worth far more than the whole world. The lover of your soul. He will pour out his Holy Spirit into you. And then as we're told in Romans 8, through his Holy Spirit, he'll pour out his love into you. He's the helper and the comforter to help you through these tough moments in life and to remind you and permanently take your eyes and fix them to Jesus on the cross. Once upon a time, there was a mighty oak tree. And this mighty oak tree, being an oak tree, was rather brittle because it was large and strong and filled with pride and refused to bow to anybody or anything around it. But a strong wind came by and the oak tree refused to bow, and so it was snapped in half, shattered, and half of it was thrown across the whole forest, where it landed next to a stream of running water. And as it landed, it saw in, growing in the stream was a group of reeds. And it looked at the reeds and it said, how, how is it that you remain intact, growing here, when I've been absolutely shattered? And the reeds said, oh, mighty oak tree, though we are weak and failing, 
we know our place, and so when the wind blows, we gladly bow, and we are spared forevermore. And that is the truth for us this morning, is that you can be like a mighty oak tree. Some success in this world might actually give you some pride that stops you from coming to Christ and seeing that you need Him, that your soul needs Him if you are going to have eternal life. Or you can be like a reed. You can acknowledge that, yes, we gladly find our place at the feet of Jesus, and we will bow to Him now and forevermore, and we will be spared and enjoy His presence forevermore. I think that some of us, though, as we look to this text, we need to be reminded that Jesus rocks, that Jesus really has been given all authority, that he is continuing to grow his church, and we will all find our way to his feet, and we will all bow, but we do this willingly and knowingly and lovingly now as his church. And maybe you find yourself in that place where you are feeling humbled down low. Would you look to Jesus and know that God will raise you up? But also, as I, I'm going to really close off now, <laughs> as I close off, I really, I believe that there are some people in our church where you are really struggling. I believe that you need some encouragement this morning. And maybe you, you came to church feeling like you are going to come to church, listen quickly and, and head. And I just want to encourage you, we would love to pray for you this morning. We would love to give you the encouragement that you need. It is not it is not something to be despised that you are just asking your Christian brothers and sisters to gather around you and pray for you and help you. And so we would love to do that for you this morning. Sure, Matt. Church, I just, um, in the closing point of Bryce's sermon, felt uh, we're going to leave this place in a hurry. And um, what the Lord wants for us is something that needs to be taken into what we're facing outside of these four walls. And that is, to ask ourselves the questions this morning and to respond to, how do our hearts see Jesus? And I'd love us to stand together. Could Byron and the worship team just come up? We're going to sing only a holy God. But could we stand together as a church? And um, yeah, please stand. And uh, I want to just pray for us this morning. What our hearts need more than anything is a clear view of who Jesus is. And so this song expresses that. And if you're wanting prayer, whilst the song is singing, you're welcome to come forward. But I want you to slow down for a moment. I want you to put your heart in a place before the Lord and to ask your heart the question, how do you see Christ today? Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we want to say we... Would you help us this morning see you correctly? Father, when our hearts see Jesus correctly, we live correctly. When our hearts see Jesus correctly, we pray correctly. We rest. We work. We live aligned to the one who really matters. And I just pray for the grace of heaven to flow towards us this morning as your people, for young families in the thick of the chaos of kids, for those that are, are navigating work and the dissatisfactions even of the lack of it, those who, who are trying to find wisdom, those who are, are, are navigating retirement and what the future, Lord, there's just so many spaces in the room this morning, but Lord, you're king of them all. You're king over seasons and boundaries. You're king over time and space. 
you rule, Lord, and you rule over us. And I just pray right now by your Spirit, let our hearts see Christ for who he is. Maybe it's for the first time this morning. You see him as the king. Would you tell him that? Would you say to him, Jesus, I come to you as my Lord and my Savior. Come take me as I am. Lord, as we sing this song, we pray, we would see it as a prayer in our hearts to you that uh, we would bow down correctly before this wonderful Savior. And Lord, we just pray that you'd minister to us as we sing it in Jesus' name.